showdown on the cobbles turned into a show for a man from down under. The pace line follows a formal request with the big three component makers for an unlucky 13. And the birthplace of mountain biking is now a speed trap. The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels, and we are back as a working group of three. The FatCyclist.com Fatty is here to drive the breakaway to the velodrome in Roubaix. Welcome back, Fatty. <laughs> Sorry I missed last week. I got lost. <laughs> that can happen, especially in a cobble classic, you know. You can get off course really easy around here. One bad bounce and you suddenly you're, you know, you're headed south instead of north to Roubaix. Plus, I'm terrible uh, with directions. Yeah, okay. RedKitePrayer.com, the home of the Pace Line, and is the creation, of course, of our Patrick Brady. Hello, Patrick. Howdy. Happy to be here. Good to have you along again. Uh, I'm Michael Houghton, RKP contributor. Big fan of this time of year, at least as it concerns our race calendar, because we get Flanders and Roubaix in back-to-back weeks, and we're just coming off uh, Perry-Roubaix. Bonin is trying to challenge... But it's Matthew Heyman. It's an early birthday presents. Heyman holding on. Matthew Heyman wins. Uh, another great and uh, this time a surprising edition of the Queen of the Classics, the Hell of the North. In all the guys, in all the race previews I read, I do not recall one picking 37-year-old Matthew Heyman as a man who would go home with the stone, and with good reason. He'll be 38 in a couple weeks. He has 15 Roubaix finishes, but not a podium to speak of. He has always worked for others in the Classics. And he crashed and fractured his right arm in February. His doctors thought his Classic season, at least this year, was done. But Heyman had been working since October to be ready. So he did, Fatty, you'll love this, two-a-days on his trainer <laughs> from uh, you know late, late winter into early spring to stay ready for the Classics. He only returned to racing last weekend in Spain for a pair of one-day races. He then lined it up in Campion and told his teammates he felt great, got in the break, kept his poker face on, and with 30K to go, he found himself with Heinrich Hausler, Sepp Van Mark, Ian Stannard, and the swan songer Tom Boonin. Of course, it looked like Heyman's day was done when the group hit the nasty Cafo de Labre section. Van Mark, man, he just went to the front there and started ripping those five-star cobbles. And Heyman was gapped off the back, pedaling as hard as he could. He even thought he was done. He thought, damn, this is it for me. I'm I'm over at this point. But he battled back, closed the gap, and even traded attacks with Boone. And as, once he made it back to the group as they approached the velodrome, on the track, though, he uh, he never surrendered his position. Looked great. And then out kick Boone into the line. This this is my favourite race. This is a race I dream of every year, and and this year I didn't even dare to dream. The last five years I've been really nervous coming into this race, and today I was just riding, just enjoying. And I made the breakaway, but I only went once. I really saved my legs there, and then I saved all day. And in the final, I could tell that the other guys were also pretty tired. And um, we raced really hard the last 5K with attacks, and I just played the game, and uh, I was lucky. So it was Boonen and Stannard on the podium with Heyman. Sagan, one of the pre-race favorites, Peter Sagan, rolled across in 11th. Conchalara, 40th. Taylor Finney uh, was 49th. But uh, once in a while, a dark horse wins Roubaix. We saw uh, the workman Johan Van Summeren snag victory, and Aussie Stuart O'Grady was uh, at the race yesterday, or at, uh, over the weekend, was also a surprise when he won Paris-Roubaix. Patrick, this proves that you know the chaos, I guess, of Roubaix can produce an unlikely result. Well, I think I think we should be careful to uh, you know give him some credit for uh, the number of finishes he's had at Roubaix. Uh, you know, uh, Gilbert Duclos Lasalle. He uh, he had a number of finishes at Roubaix before winning it twice in a row, um, and people say you know you you got to be patient, you got to have faith at Roubaix, and um, all that all that experience of his finally paid off. Very impressive performance. Yeah, it was uh, you know a, a, again a rattle fest across the cobbles. Um, 
you know, the usual chaos we see, Fatty, in this race uh, produced a winner that you know, no one was calling for, no one was expecting. Who are you keeping an eye on, Fatty, as you watch the race unfold? And was, was Heyman one of the guys that even caught your eye? I had never even heard of the guy and love that he won for that very fact. <laughs> you know, even with 20K to go, I, I thought it was going to be either Sepp Van Mark or Tom Bonin. Uh, I, I was counting him out with 20K to go. So he, you know, he showed us all. Yeah, because he'd been in the break all day. I mean, you know, that's a, a heck of a way to spend your day to sit in the break and Presumably, and he was, he, he told the media that, hey, he was riding for somebody else again at Roubaix, uh, although he felt great, you know, it, this wasn't uh, supposed to be his day, but he jumped in the break and took off and, and played his part. This is one of the very few races uh, at this level, a, a monument where you can where you can do good things from the breakaway. Uh, so I knew if I was there, I just needed to take it easy, eat, and 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 really wait for the final. And I was waiting for the big guys to come, and thinking that would be Fabian and Sagan, and maybe my teammate Jens Kukule. And I was just saving, staying out of trouble, um, saving, 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 and. And then when they came, I guess the guys had to do a lot of work to catch us because uh, I realised after the first few times, I think uh, probably the hardest section for me today was mine, Pavel. And after that, I knew I was in the final. And then once they'd whittled it down uh, to five, Heyman says he was actually pulling for Tom Boonen for the win and just hoping he would end up on the podium. But he was the stronger man in the end, and it was Boonen looking up at Heyman as they stood together in Roubaix. Here's... Heyman's a press conference, a longer press conference uh, after the the podium ceremonies. I'm very surprised. Um, look, I love this race, and you know, there's, there's a reason I've done it 15 times now, and it's always been my favourite race. And you only have a dream of winning it. Um, for that dream to come true is is pretty special. I had a lot of luck today. Um, everything went my way. One, one month ago, you broke your arm, right arm, and yeah. now you are the king of the north. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I spent a lot of time on the home trainer and um, I came in pretty fresh and uh, I also came in under the radar. Um, I don't think people were expecting me and I came in not expecting much from myself so I was most, more relaxed than I've ever been in this race. Um, I've always put a lot of pressure on myself in this race because it's one of the few races where I, I get a chance. You know, I'm normally riding for other riders in the team. and. Um, but today I was relaxed. I was just, just going with the flow. It's, uh, the most important uh, win in your career. Yeah, that in the Commonwealth Games. How did you manage the final? <laughs> What's that? How did you manage the final with Bonanno? It's a year on the Vélodrome. How you did? Yeah, to be honest, um, I was happy just not to get fourth or fifth. Um, I, did, I wanted to be on the podium. Maybe that's not the right thing to say. And um, <laughs> even coming in the last kilometres with Bonin, I was I was happy to ride with him and, and, and see who won. And, and, you know, I would have been happy with second. And um, I just did everything right. Um, I was calm. I was relaxed. And, and I got a bit worried when I hit out and I saw 200 metres in the last corner. But, uh, again, I got pretty lucky. Whoever I had on the hip couldn't come past. And sprinting up the front straight, looking under my arm and just watching the shadows come, but they weren't coming quick enough. It's a funny thing, you know, sometimes when you just relax and let things come to you, they do. Um, yeah. And it sounds like that's what Matthew's staying here, that, you know, he, he finally came into this race going, I, I don't know, something good could finally happen to me. I'm just going to let the race happen and play out and then see where I stand. I think maybe in his 14 or 15 priors, he was a little too hyped up, gripping the bars a little tight, and and this time he took the more the, the break, the arm break that he had in February, maybe in the best thing that ever happened to him as far as Perry Roubaix is concerned. Agreed. You know, have, having that ability uh, to skip those races and just keep on your training, he went in a lot fresher. Yeah, and it it, yes. it also forced him to you know reset expectations or just to let go of them. Uh, so pretty terrific, you know, outcome for him. Yeah, wow. Fatty, you're a, you're a fan of uh, the trainers this time of year. How do you suppose oh, a man yeah. stays in shape for Perry Roubaix on the trainer with two a days? That is pretty impressive. I, I and I, you know, I honestly, I don't even. I would love to see what his uh, workouts on the trainer looked like. Um, but as he was talking about, you know, I, I managed to stay really relaxed. I thought to myself. 
wow, I wonder what that's like. I don't believe I've ever been relaxed at the home stretch of a race. That's incredible. Yeah, I think, again, the, the crash in February, yeah, physically that allowed him to kind of save his body. And maybe mentally, mm-hmm. too, it did the trick to really put him in a good spot um, come uh, Roubaix, come Perry Roubaix time, uh, to go ahead and, and race his race and do his thing and, and not too much put too much pressure on himself to, to be a, a winner or a performer or a, uh, somebody on the podium. So it really did work out nicely for Matthew Heyman, great Aussie racer. And, uh, you know, he has one of those coveted stones now. He'll go down in lore and history, gets a little plaque in the shower at Roubaix. So he's got it all. He's got a, a nice way to, you know, at 37, it's going to be 38. Uh, there was a lot of, there's been a lot of talk about Sagan, or rather, Conchalara's career ending uh, at this trip around uh, Roubaix. Same with Tom Boonen. But it sounds like Matty Heyman's got the the period on his career with a nice, nice victory at Perry Roubaix. Crashes. Yes, there were crashes. Of course, there were crashes at Perry Roubaix. Uh, the fall, the tumble that set things up. For the finale, came inside 100K, and Conchalar and Sagan were caught behind it. Uh, Edix recognized this crash immediately and went to the front and put a gap between Boonin and his two rivals. At one point, you know, Team Sky had four riders up front in the span of a kilometer, though. That team was involved in two crashes on the Slick Stones, and that's why Stannard had no help in the end. And then Conchalara, you know, big favorite, trying to go out on a high note here at Perry Roubaix, was working with Sagan. Once they'd been gapped, to try and get back to that Boonin group. But Spartacus lost his front wheel inside 40K to go. And then poor Fabian, uh, during his ceremonial lap, I don't know if you guys saw this, around the velodrome, he grabbed a big Swiss flag from a fan and was riding one-handed but slipped down the track and crashed again. So oh. kind of a rough way for, I know, kind yeah. of a rough way for Fabian to go out. Ignominious. Yeah. Oh, that's um, sad. I didn't hear about that. Yeah, would you be surprised, either of you, if we saw... I, I think Boonin is probably done uh, with this. Although he had a great day, and his team director has said, why not 2017, Tom? But have we heard, really heard the last of, of Conchalara? Uh, he said so. I'll take him at his word. Okay. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be the contrarian and say no. Yeah, and I don't even I have, have a reason why. I just think, no, he's not done. He's got more to do. Yeah, I tend to agree with a day like that. It's just such a rough way. And considering these between Flanders and Roubaix, those are the two races he he's he covets most. It seems like a rough way for him to go out, and you know, he obviously he can still compete and, and hang with the with the best mm-hmm. on those races. So maybe a little. Maybe a little summer and fall time to himself might change his mind. I'm thinking just from a more general competitive point of view. When you're a competitor and things have been, you know, and you're tired and you're looking forward to a break, it's easy to say, I'm ready to be done. And then you're done. And suddenly the pressure to compete builds up and it doesn't have somewhere to go. And you find yourself going, I got to do something. Mm hmm. So. And then one more other crash to note, because we've brought this up um, already on the pace line. Sky's Eliai Viviani was hit by a motorcycle after a crash held up the peloton in the forest of Arnberg. He's going to be okay. It looks like he has an injury to his sternum, um, but exams have ruled out a fracture. We've been talking about, uh, with the with the death of a rider recently, Antoine de Motier, who was hit by a motorcycle after he crashed. You know, that the UCI has got a big thing to face up to here with regards to the number of motos that are in the peloton, especially a crowded scene like the Forest of Arenberg. Um, and Brian Cookson says there is a meeting coming uh, that will address this issue. We just want to let you folks know that, yes, there was another crash and it involved a moto um, and that uh, UCI probably, <laughs> if this is going to go right to the front uh, of their agenda, I would think, soon to do something about this, especially before the tour gets around when... We have real traffic issues. On oh, the equipment good, side. a meeting. Yeah, a meeting, right. <laughs> well, Man. hang on, hang that, on. Well, that'll to, solve things. To add to add just a little perspective, I mean, because I, I was pretty outspoken on this. Let's just say, you know, of all the sections of cobbles, the Ehrenberg Forest, you know, is one of the five-star sections, okay? Um, 
There have been any number of crashes over the years involving motorcycles and riders there. Uh, you know, oftentimes muddy. The motos aren't able to stop after the riders go down. I, You know, I would caution a little more uh, restraint uh, regarding this. That's a bad section and, you know, all sorts of things happen. Um, I, I view that very differently than I do uh, a crash out on the road. Well, the the bike did come in. The motorbike did come in behind Viviani. Oh, and uh, yeah, there and are plenty. He, of and Viviani of had been on the ground for it, it wasn't it wasn't instantaneous. Viviani had been on the ground, but and the bike came along, you know, a few seconds later and hit him. So there was a pile up, and it was a mess. And I get it; it those mm-hmm. stones are slick and nasty in there. But the UCI needs to get it too. They need to figure this out. It's it is a traffic issue for them. Agreed. On the equipment side of things, and we love this part of Perrier Bay because so much speciality comes out uh, in the pits, in the gear. Uh, disc brakes, guys. We're still just... Uh, Lamprey was sporting them, but they seem to be the only team going with... Even on a day when they had mm. rain the night before. Now, they really can't make these changes late in the game. These teams can't. But there was rain uh, the night before, the day before uh, in the region. And as we saw on the TV coverage, there was enough mud out there to probably warrant some calipers and rotors, but only Lamprey uh, rode them, at least as far as we could tell. Um, and everyone else was on standard rim brakes uh, at Perry roubaix The winner, Matty Heyman, <laughs> rode an aero bike. He rode a Scott Foil. It's a Scott-sponsored team. He rode a Scott Foil. He had actually, what, Patrick, several bikes to choose from. He could have been yeah. on their Solace. Or the Solace, Attic, yeah. which rides nice. Uh, the Solace, which you and I have both ridden the Solace and the Attic together. Yeah. Um, but he chose the Foil, which is an aero bike, uh, to to get over the stones at Roubaix. This, is, this seems almost uh, like a crazy choice. It, it's, it is the very definition of counterintuitive. I mean, I get that having an aero bike on a 180-mile day might pay a dividend or 16, but uh, an aero bike, um, even even the bike, you know, that one of the more comfortable aero bikes on the market, I'd put it right up there with the Felt AR. Um, I've done a short ride on the new foil, and, you know, it's more aerodynamic uh, than the previous foil. And it's more comfortable than the previous foil. But, I mean, dude, uh, you know, when <laughs> when every single uh, rider sponsored by Specialized is on a Roubaix uh, and this guy goes for the aero bike, you know, this may be a situation where everybody starts rethinking Perry-Roubaix, you know, so long as they've got the, the tire clearance. And that's the other thing. <laughs> Scott really deserves some pretty serious credit for creating an aero bike that still has clearance for 28s. That blows mm-hmm. me away. My Felt AR, uh, which I bought precisely because it was so impressive in so many ways, I can only fit 25s in there. Hmm. Right. Uh, he did run 28 tubulars on the foil, um, 5340 uh, chainring, excuse me. And he had DI2. A, uh, a lot of racers will switch to mechanical group sets just because of the you know, the punishment of Roubaix, the grit and the grime, they feel a little safer with a mechanical system. But he ran the DI2, which, you know, in carbon wheels. And, I mean, he could have jumped in a crit afterwards uh, with a bike <laughs> set up like that. And probably won, too. So, yeah, uh, pretty amazing. Uh, Peter Sagan went with two bikes. He rode a tarmac in the front half of the ray or the before the cobbles arrived with 26s and then switched to a, a specialized Roubaix uh, with 30s. Once the cobbles near, but Specialized still uh, looking for another Roubaix. I have a I ride a Roubaix myself, and on the top tube of that bike, they put a nice little kind of a little stenciled medallion in there with the years that the Specialized Roubaix has finished first at the at the race it's named after, and it's been since 2012 since the Big S has uh, secured victory there. So they're looking again. They were close. I mean, that's Boonin was on one too. He was on a Roubaix that day. So always great to check out gear at at Perrier Bay because it's so specialized, because it's so interesting. Although, Patrick, the, the box rim is, what is, do we declare it dead now at this race? Is it just, it's gone forever, is it not? Is the carbon wheels have gotten that good? Yeah, I mean, you know, the number of times the 303 has now uh, won uh, Roubaix is enough to say, well, you know, there's, there's kind of no point. It's a more comfortable rim. 
um, and it's much more aerodynamic, and you're going to need that aero assistance. Um, and it's a very light wheel. You know, the the 303 tubular, uh, I'm not even sure what Heyman was on yesterday, but, um, you know, in terms of uh, wheel tech, you know, putting down the, the box rim, uh, you know, that's the wheel to look to, you know, and Envy's uh, 2.3s, uh, I'm not sure how many times we've seen those out there, but uh, there are definitely some, some great uh, carbon wheels at this point that, you know, and just, you, it's hard to have something less aerodynamic than a box rim. By the way, uh, Heyman, <laughs> they, they build them tough down there in down there in Australia. We've seen Tom Boonen race Roubaix without gloves. Heyman with a single layer of handlebar tape, too. I mean, everyone double wraps their bars at this race. And, man, what a, what a day for oh Matthew God. Heyman. <laughs> I know. He wow. is, I mean, is that upping the ante? I mean, is that just saying, I'm a man and I don't care? Well, you know what his next goal later this season is? Uh, Leadville to crawl on that bike. across the stones of Roubaix? No, he's, he's going to do Leadville on that bike. Yeah. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> Wow. He's wow. invited. We'd love to <laughs> One have One layer of tape. Now I've heard it all. Oh He'll be uh, 38 in two weeks. So happy birthday, Matthew Heyman. Enjoy uh, a great win at the Queen of the Classics. Uh, we're going to keep this gear thing going, by the way, on the pace line with a look at the Speed X. The people behind the, this bike are asking for funding to help bring this beast to market, but a, a member of the Pace Line has something to say about that. That's coming up next on the Pace Line. Keep the morale high and just keep going because there's always someone else who's had a puncture or had a bike change, or so you can come back a lot in this race. And uh, Stewie Grady's a great example of that. You know, he was in the early break, had a puncture, thought his race was over, and he won Paris Bay. So keep believing, keep riding, and you, it's not over until we get to the Velodrome. The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. Fatty, Patrick, Michael Hutton. We're keeping the uh, gear theme going here with a look at a bike maybe some of you folks have seen online. I've seen it on Facebook. It is called the Speed X Leopard. Now, Fatty, you've been taking a hard look at this machine and this campaign that's going along with it. Tell us what you have seen here and some of your observations about the way they're going about selling this bike. Sure. So, like most people, I saw the SpeedX Leopard on Facebook, you know, linked to the Kickstarter page that is going on with that. And I was intrigued immediately because it looked like a very inexpensive bike that has a lot of cool stuff in it, you know, with the uh, GPS integrated into the bike itself. And it looks like a fast bike. It's a very nice looking bike. You know, of course, aesthetics are personal, but still you know, for 1500 bucks, you could get what looks like an aero bike with the GPS and cadence built right in. And in a, it, I, I, I have a two part reaction with that. First, it's like, oh, well, cool. That's cheap and good. And then the second uh, reaction is the Spidey sense going off and saying, that looks like it might be too good to be true. Let's take a look at what is actually there. And that's where things kind of went off the rails for me. Um, first of all, it seems like it's super popular with companies who know nothing about bikes. If you do a search in Google on SpeedX Leopard, you know, Fast Company and you know, the gadget blogs are all saying, wow, smartest bike in the whole world. And of course, it's not that it just happens to have the GPS built in. But it's also it's a it's a heavy bike. The brake position, they're calling it innovative. It's not really, of course, you can't ride this bike before you do. It's going to be 18 and a half or 17.5 pounds. And it just doesn't feel right to me. I'm curious, uh, Patrick, if you've taken a look at this, what you think as well. Oh, yeah. No, I, there came a point when I finally went, okay, I got to really look this thing over. Because, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, seeing the Facebook ad, I was like, oh, please, another Kickstarter for a, a bike. Uh, and then I started hearing about all the press they were getting. Um, a few things are evident to me. One, this is being made by... Uh, a competent factory in China. Um, 
they've hired a big New York PR and marketing firm to do all the Facebook advertising and to get all the media mentions. Um, you know, it's funny to me that there's much more innovative and advanced work being done in the bike industry, but because for the most part, bike industry companies uh, think small and spend small, they don't get mentions in, say, Fast Company or Time mm-hmm. or Wired or whatever. Um, yeah. Specialized does from time to time. They're one of the only ones that actually spends that kind of money. Oh, look, what can happen? Um, but, you know, more back to the bike, um, you know, I, I looked at the sizing. And, you know, they, they talk about this, you know, revolutionary sizing system. Dude, that is 1980s fit kit. It's like five measurements of the body. Yeah. Nothing new there. Um, what's that actually is... Yeah, I was going to say that actually that is what worries me probably more than anything else is it there's the there's the advertising that this is revolutionary and it's going to fit you like nothing else where you take a picture of you standing up with your arms out and they basically do a a measurement based on that and you don't even have a say, if I'm understanding right, in what your frame size will be, what your stem length will be. They just go ahead and pick everything out for you and and send you that size. Now, maybe you can override that. I don't know. But to me, that's just people who are expecting a really cool bike that is custom for them are going to find something very different from what an actual bike fitting will provide you. Yeah, it's that's problematic. Um, also, you know, I don't know how much you looked at the uh, the sizing information. The biggest frame is essentially a fifty-seven. Um, wow. They went long and deep on small sizes. There's a forty-two, a forty-five, a forty-eight, a fifty-one, a fifty-four, and a fifty-seven. Um, hmm. You know, that's another thing that indicates that this was. Uh, to me, anyway, uh, a Chinese company that wasn't really working with uh, anyone super experienced uh, in the American market. Um, you know, that's that's an Asian sizing run. Um, and I hope that doesn't sound racist, but just knowing how uh, sizing runs for bikes get skewed on different continents, that's, um, yeah, that's an Asian sizing run. Um you know, it's nice that they're making some really small stuff, and you know that's kind of handy for women. Uh, but if you're anything taller than five foot eleven, uh, you're SOL on this. Um, and you know, yeah, just so many claims in there that are just complete BS. Uh, the brakes, you know, that's a stock model out of a out of the TRP catalog. Uh, they didn't develop those. Um, you know, I, I'm willing to bet that they were making aero bikes for some other manufacturer. Um, there are a lot of design cues in that bike that look familiar to me. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, I can kind of deconstruct that. Uh, yeah, it's, it's not a bad bike, but it's underdone in a lot of ways. Um, we were discussing the weight earlier, you know, 18 pound bike. Really? Really? You did carbon because it's so great. And you came up with 18 pounds. I'm wondering how much of that is like the light and all that stuff. Um, and what that the is, and, and oh, I was going to say, and that's something that actually is a concern to me. You know, they so much is built into this STEM computer slash light setup, so you can't ever take off the 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 rear light that is built into the seat post, right? So that that's there, and you've got lights that are built into the STEM. You've got the computer that is built into the STEM. It is going to have sluggish steering because you have so much going on in that stem. It is going to be, you know, it's going to feel clunky. It is going to feel pretty slow. I'm just, I'd be willing to bet on that. And, and this is, this is something that is of, I think, and it sounds like I'm slamming on this entirely, but I really am not. But it's, you know, Kickstarters have a tendency to come out late. And this is a Kickstarter that, incorporates an Indiegogo campaign that they did for a for this stem that integrates the bike computer that they ran a while ago. This stem was supposed to ship in March. It is currently uh, bogged down in FCC approval. 
And so this, you know, this thing that is based on another thing they've done that was supposed to be shipping now is not even in manufacturing yet. Wow. So um, don't expect your bike in July if you order this is all I'm saying. And mm-hmm. also make sure you pay attention to that you will be paying extra for shipping and there will be a VAT tax. The, wow. the $1,300 price tag, yeah. is that frame, fork, and computer only, or do you get a whole bike? You get the whole bike. It's What? Yeah, yeah. Now, the $1,300... Well, no wonder they were able to raise $735,000 in 48 hours. Yeah, oh, yeah they got 405 people to plunk down that money. They, they exceeded their initial goal by... By they exceeded their initial goal by nine hundred eighty percent when they first started the campaign. Oh, On yeah. paper, and this thing north looks of great. One and a half million now. Yeah, yeah. Um, you, you know, there are how to put it. Um, the bike companies out there that are delivering one hundred five equipped bikes at two thousand uh, dollars, they're delivering the best bike they can at that price point, um, and so to get to a $1,300 bike with 105, the only way to do it, you know, companies like Trek and Specialized and Bianchi and Cannondale, they are not cheating people. You know, uh, I've seen the right. home that, that Sinyard lives in. Um, he's not a fat cat. Um, and so they're not cheating people when they charge them $2,000 uh, for a bike equipped with 105. This company is cutting corners somewhere, and I think it's in materials. Um, you know, they're uh, you know they've they've also eliminated some other things in terms of you know distribution and whatnot. But um, you don't get to thirteen hundred dollars with one hundred five, um, just being uh, you know being more frugal uh, than than specialized and trek in those companies. Um, and I'm seeing car I'm seeing carbon wheels here, an aero post, yep. what looks like a physique saddle. I mean, that I just added up two grand right there. And that's yeah. how much you would actually be paying um, for this right here is, you know, if you're getting the carbon wheels, if you're getting the carbon bar, you're getting the pro version of the bike. The baseline version of the bike you are not getting carbon bar you are not getting carbon wheels and i frankly would be pretty concerned about carbon wheels on a two thousand dollar bike period (laughs) given Um, that most good carbon wheels cost two thousand dollars yeah and i mean you know uh, on what has what happens with a bad set of carbon wheels at a high speed Right. Been there, that, that, done that, that, lived through it. Yeah, delamination is a terrifying thing, and um, I, you know, I have NV six sevens that I ride with, it, with confidence in the area I live in, you know, in mountainous Utah, um, yeah. because this is a company that I trust. I, you know, I honestly have no idea um, what kind of rigor has been applied to these wheels. So I'm, I'm more worried about the wheels than the frame on this one. That's fair. What, you know, um, a- what can we say? What can we say about the marketing on, on this bike? Has they spent a lot, has the press just m- messed this up? Uh, what kind of coverage has come out of the, the bicycling press on this? If anything at all, have they just skipped over it? What's uh, I just, put that I, into perspective. I think they, they hired a really good New York PR and ad agency. I think it's that simple. I think they just spent big money. Uh, it's a relatively simple story. I mean, the copy uh, touting this thing is written to non-cyclists. Uh, it's written yeah. by by people who are probably not core cyclists themselves, um, and it's written to non-cyclists. Um, you know, I, I go through it, and there are so many just kind of uh, glaring overstatements. Um, and mischaracterizations, and then other little things that they don't talk about that I could see in reading through. Looking at the geometry chart, um, every single size, all seven sizes, that's impressive. Okay, I'm glad they're doing seven sizes. Um, An awful lot of bikes are out there that that come in only six sizes. Um, So it's nice they're doing seven, but all seven of those sizes have the same 
uh, 40.5 centimeter chainstays. They also all have the same 74 degree seat tube angle. What's that tell me? Well, what they're doing is they're using the same rear triangle in all seven sizes. That may not sound like a problem. It's a, it's a good engineering efficiency, but you get into a problem of you lay all those up, you do them all in batches, and that means that the person riding the 42 is getting beat to death uh, by, the, by the overly harsh rear triangle and if a bigger guy gets the seven, uh, the fifty-seven, um, that thing's going to squish around on him, and it's it's not going to handle particularly well. Um, so yeah, it's efficient, but it results in a bike that isn't going to ride all that well for people. Again, the bike is the Speed X. I mean, don't just take our word for it. Have a look uh, if yeah. you're if you're all curious. It's the Speed X Leopard. Um, Kickstarter campaign got this thing kind of kicked off and apparently it's getting a little traction but I mean I think the pace line we're just here to say look just make sure you you use your senses about this cross-reference things uh, ask questions when you see a deal this good maybe maybe it's not maybe it is but just ask those questions first before you plunk down your 1300 bucks yeah and chances are anyone who's listening to the pace line is not going to be in the market for this bike but there is a good chance that folks who are listening to the pace line have friends who are interested in a bike and are have seen this on facebook Bingo. you know be be a good friend to that friend and let them know that this isn't a slam dunk that this is a bike that may be a great bike for them you know because it is you know it, it's a cool looking bike with gps built in and lights built in and you know so there is a chance that if you want this as a commuter bike that it could be a fantastic bike for you (laughs) if you're thinking that this is your ticket into racing and that this is going to be it for you probably not Mm -hmm. all right from the speed x we head into a speed trap and speed traps we're finding out are no longer a road thing they are now aimed at bikes on trails we'll take that up next on the pace line the pace line the podcast on two wheels time now for our feedback segment we enter the feed zone here on the pace line and grab our musettes and what you might find in there may make you lose your appetite because the Marin County Sheriff's Department has started using radar. Yeah, you're saying radar. So what? They're using it on trails, on fire roads that they manage uh, around the county. Marin County Sheriff's deputies have been using what they call actually LIDAR. It's nothing to do with telling a fib. It's actually LIDAR is kind of like radar, except it uses a laser. It measures uh, distance from the radar itself. As, as objects are approaching it, and then measure speed that way. It's being used on trails to enforce the 15-mile-per-hour speed limit. They started this month to monitor the speed of mountain bikes in the county's open space. Now, Marine County, of course, is home to Mount Tamalpais, the birthplace, or what some say is the birthplace of mountain biking, and is, of course, home to the Mountain Bike Museum, which you, Patrick, recently wrote about for RKP. So maybe this is all kind of ironic to me that Marine County Sheriff's deputies would now be enforcing speed using radar or LIDAR, as they call it, on the trails in Marin County. Speed limit again is, I know, 15 miles. Here it is, 15 miles per hour, and it is five miles per hour when passing around a blind corner. Well, enforceable or not, doable or not, uh, well, I mean, they can enforce it. They can, they can do that. Uh, doesn't make it the sensible thing to do, um, you know. Uh, but you know, the, I think what we have to do is back up and talk about how, uh, yeah, Marin County, the birthplace of mountain biking, and honestly, one of the spiritual homes of cycling in the U.S. Um, they have one of the highest rates of conflict uh, between mountain bikers and hikers and equestrians. Um, Someone told me, I'm not sure this is absolutely true, but someone did tell me recently that uh, 
Marin County has the lowest percentage of uh, trail access for mountain biking of any county in the U.S. That they're you know they've got an uh, an incredible number of miles of single track trails and a tiny percentage of them are are legal for mountain biking. Um, mm. So they've got a huge problem there. Um, and I know you said this is a new thing, but I recall stories from friends back in the 1980s of uh, rangers on the fire road at Mount Tam uh, with radar guns giving people tickets. Um, <laughs> you know, I just, it, I, you know, and people wonder why I overshot Marin County and went to Sonoma. Mm. You know, it's just more chill here. Yeah, it See, does I- seem like a bit of a mixed message that, you know, Marin County of all places would uh i get it if they want to go out and maybe give some warnings or do some verbal things or stand around on the trails and just remind riders and equestrians and whoever's using the trail that there's a speed limit but to stand out there with with radar guns and uh, right now they're just doing issuing warnings but eventually this will be tickets they'll do, they'll do tickets they'll be up to a hundred dollar fines involved here to take that kind of attitude and that kind of approach just seems a, a a bit rough on on a community that really helps start the whole mountain biking wave. Fatty, do, what is it even possible on some fire roads to, <laughs> to slow down to fifteen miles per hour? Some of them are darn steep. It's hard to scrub that kind of speed. See, I'm thinking that what's going to happen is this is going to backfire in the form of highly desirable ticket format souvenirs. You know, I, what I want to be able to frame is a ticket saying I was going 42 miles per hour and that I had to pay $100 to do so. Mm-hmm. I'm, I, I'm like, you know, look at well, this. It's California. This is, it could be this, 400, you know. <laughs> Whatever. It, this is so much better than the than a little uh, uh, crown-shaped icon on uh, saying that I have a KOM on Strava. This is it does suggest a certain I'm so fast I got arrested. <laughs> <laughs> yep. This is the second story, too, we've had out of Northern California involving mountain biking and speed and some type of action by government. Uh, we had the small city the council in, yeah. in the Bay Area where they just shut down trails because of speeds being posted on Strava. Um, and now Marin County has decided to go after us two wheelers on the dirt because of you know, a 15 mile per hour speed limit, which seems, I mean, just that is just not a lot of speed. You're not going that fast. And, and certainly even at, even at 20, if you see something coming, you can do something about it on a mountain bike. Uh, the deputies, by the way, say they're not just targeting mountain bikers that equestrians will also be under the gun as it were. And really fast trail runners. Yeah. Faster. Exactly. <laughs> fast trail runners. Might also want to be careful. Well, five miles per hour on foot on a blind corner. Possible. You, you could break that. Imagine the damage ticket. you could do. Mm-hmm. That's right. <laughs> uh, we've talked a lot about cassettes this year on the Pace Line, most of it concerning the new 12-speed SRAM cassette, the 1050. That's going to be on the Eagle Group. Uh, made for a couple of great discussions here on the Pace Line. Um, that big cog set coming from SRAM. We should see a sea otter, too, coming up here. But for a long time, Patrick has uh, protested the lack of choices when it comes to cassettes. And Patrick, your point on this came to a head with a post on Red Kite Prayer regarding uh, the cassettes we have to choose to buy uh, for our bikes these days. What was your what was your issue there? Well, it's it's not just cassette; it's gearing. You know, I don't really care how you get there, um, but I think that for shall we say us mortals. Um, you know, we deserve to have a lower range of gears where we have more usable cogs in back. Whether you're making bigger cogs uh, or whether you're shrinking the chain rings, I, you know, I don't give a flying flip. Um, I just think that, you know, for the, the ordinary mortal, um, and, you know, this even goes for a lot of guys who've gained a Cat 2 upgrade, a 5011 top gear is a really, really big gear. Um, and especially when you start considering uh, adventure bikes, multistratas, um, the chances of you doing 43 miles an hour and spinning out, um, say, even a 5012, um, pretty low. And every single cassette that SRAM makes begins with an 11. Um, 
you know, and, you know, they'll say, oh, yeah, well, we go up to, you know, 32 in this group. Um, yeah, fine. But that's, all, you know, there are some really big jumps in there and it would be nice to get some smaller jumps um, and have more cogs that I can really use. The only time uh, my seven air heart has ever been in its 5011 has been on the stand when I've been doing a tune up. I've literally <laughs> never used that that gear out on the road. Um, and I I go as fast as I'm able. Um, so, you know, I'm, you know, what I'd really like to see at this point, I think is for, uh, somebody like FSA to circumvent this entire thing and come out with, uh, a crank that does, uh, a good 4630, a good lightweight carbon crank, you know, with a, a, a modern bottom bracket standard. I mean, People have been recommending all sorts of old stuff. And, you know, two words, square taper. I'm not going there. You know, I want modern technology. <laughs> See, I think you're you're thinking too small here, Patrick. What you need to do is drop a motor into that frame, and then suddenly you'll have perfectly good use for that really tall gear. Well, you know, it would ensure one thing that that the number of people across the earth who hate me, you know, would would triple overnight, you know, um, uh, you know, yeah, I would I would suddenly become everybody's least favorite cyclist. But um, you'd be so fast. <laughs> They'd hate you because you're fast. But Shram will probably tell you, look, we still have a we still have a twelve a twelve twenty eight if you're riding ten speed. Which they do. That's still in their catalog right now. In fact, that's I my own point one of exactly. Those. Nothing current um, for eleven speed SRAM. Yes, all you can get is eleven. Now on the higher end stuff with the power dome, there's. I, I sort of understand why there's not a, a twelve or a thirteen option because that power dome is is one piece, and that would require a major investment for them to retool and come up with a one piece that starts with a twelve or a thirteen. Would it not? You know, I, I mean. It's it's not that big a deal, okay? Yes, there's more tooling. Um, but the thing is, it would be wildly popular. I've actually heard from some product managers who've broached this very subject with both Shimano and SRAM and have been just shot down completely. Um, so, you know, I, while I hear, I have heard from uh, a SRAM employee who said, oh, they don't want that stuff. That's why we don't make it. They've told us they don't want it. Uh, I'm meanwhile hearing from product managers who are like, yeah, I'm, I'm so glad you said this. Um, you know, I've done a number of pretty pointed essays uh, over the years, and I'm not sure I've ever done anything this pointed that has gotten this uniform a positive reaction. I always know that when I write something pointed, there's going to be, you know, a few people out there who think I've completely lost my mind, and I'm ready for that. I don't, I don't have a problem with that. Um, but and Shimano, was, you, you, you feel Shimano is short in this area too. I mean, they have twelves. Yeah, they have yeah, plenty of short twelve options it. still. Yeah, um, it's a problem, you know. And you know, considering the sort of riding that so many of us are doing, uh, we need more low gears and. This one by action is not going to get it. I don't want a four tooth jump from an 18 to a 22. I really don't want that. You know, I mean, I've still got down in my garage, I've got some old straight block freewheels. You know, I don't ride that stuff anymore. But when I was doing time trials and team time trials, you know, having that one tooth jump really could make a difference um, at, at the crush time. And so... I when someone says, "Oh, well, we've got it all, and you only need the one chain ring," I'm like, "No, I need a second chain ring because you don't have it all." Mm-hmm. Fatty, you just mash, right? Just mash that gear over. <laughs> I was just thinking, you know, it's been a few weeks since I've ridden anything but my 34 by 19. No, wait, 34 by 18 now, single speed. So, yeah, that's well with <laughs> with a with a Wahoo kicker. And adjustable resistance, you can do whatever you want, right? You, That's you, right. Whatever gear you need. Yeah, well, I'm talking about my outside riding. I, I've been mountain biking oh. <laughs> on the single speed with a 34 by okay. 18. So it's um, and, and just for what it's worth, the hammer's riding with a 32 by 20. So folks, uh, all you hard riding women out there who are looking to beat her on the single speed, that's what uh, that's the gear ratio you need to seek out. Yeah, well, my knees the just started <laughs> crying. 
There's the answer. Forget <laughs> the 13 cassette. Just just the single speed. Let's just go, go. Everyone has one card. One speed is all you need. <laughs> I think I read that somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> all right. The pace line has hit the finish line. But before we go, uh, let's check in with our group. Fatty, what will we be seeing on the pages of FatCyclist.com or hearing on the FattyCast? Well, on the FattyCast, I just put out a really great conversation with Phil Guyman. Highly recommend it. He's got his own podcast now, and it is worth listening. Later this week, I'm going to be posting a podcast with Erica Tingey, a local pro racer, who has, uh, we had a very honest and interesting conversation about her missing year. Um, on the fatcyclist.com on my blog, I am going to be doing a post talking about the senior games. That's right. I turned 50 this year and I'm going to be racing in the senior games and how I plan to get my clock cleaned. The senior games. (laughs) That's right. I'm going to be Hmm. racing in the senior games. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> Patrick, in addition to your letter to Shram, Campy, and Shimano, there's been plenty of other activity on Red Kite Prayer, has there not? Yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, a piece about my experience at Sonomas, uh, at Lake Sonoma, uh, last weekend. Um, let's see. Got a bike review coming out, uh, Cannondale CAD 10. Um, hmm. A few other things, and this morning I head off to meet some riders at San Jose Airport for a Blackburn event. Uh, actually, Blackburn and others will be riding Niner mountain bikes and doing some bike packing up into the Santa Cruz Mountains ahead of Sea Otter. Ooh, I am and, so jealous. And then I will you be running be. you down at yeah, I'll be running you down at Sea Otter, where we'll be overwhelmed in gear talk and the latest in technology. Um, looking at uh, e-mountain bikes a little bit too and yep. possibly going for a ride. And I think <laughs> Doing both the of us e-mountain are supposed bike to, race. Yeah. Yeah, I think <laughs> the both of us then are supposed to line up uh, a week from, or this Saturday, this coming Saturday at in Sonoma County for yep. the Grasshopper event, which should be cool. Okay. Super Sweetwater. Good deal. The Pace Line Podcast can be found on the pages of RKP. Just uh, head to the sound section of the site. We are also on Stitcher and iTunes. And if you could, please leave us comments. We'd love to hear what's on your mind, what you think about the show. And then please rate us on iTunes as well. That helps out quite a bit to keep the show moving along. So for Fatty and Patrick, I'm Michael Houghton. We'll talk to you next time on The Pace Line. Matthew Heyman in the day-long breakaway has beaten Tom Bowden in the sprint finish to win Paris-Roubaix. Extraordinary.